Hey everybody, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hey guys, I just wanted to record a quick little introduction to these next two podcasts. I'm gonna be releasing for y'all the a coaching call that we recently did. I did with Matt Terrio, and we did this call for a little promotion we were running. By the time you're listening to this, I think it would be last week. We were doing this little promotion. Matt and I created a course together called Creative Financing Lab. It was a case study as a program. It was really good, great results, lots of testimonials and people making money doing deals. And even it was fun during the case study itself. We gave people their money back if they just went through the program and made five offers, I think is what we did. And it was just a lot of fun. Why do we do that? Well, just we know that when you take action and you start implementing what you're learning, instead of being a professional student, right, let's start implementing what we're learning, you're going to start doing deals. And some of you guys will bring us deals to partner with you on. So that's kind of why we did it. So anyway, I'm just going to release to you a coaching call that we did. It was about two hours long. We answered a lot of really good questions. And you're going to hear us talking about things like giving you websites for things to, to buy the program. By the time you're listening to this, though, it'll probably be expired. So I apologize. Just skip that part if you want. But I also wanted to encourage you to subscribe to my YouTube channel and Matt's. You can find me on YouTube at Joe McCall. And you can find Matt at Epic Real Estate, I think. So just go to YouTube, do a search for Joe McCall, and then do a search for Matt Terrio or Epic Real Estate, and you'll find his his channel. So subscribe to our YouTube channels. We have a lot of good stuff on there. I release videos about two or three times a week. I appreciate your subscribing and giving me a thumbs up and getting notified when new videos are released. That would be super, super helpful. But I'm glad you are listening here to this podcast. I really do appreciate you guys. I'm excited about 2021. Are you? It's going to be a great year. And regardless of what's going on in politics and regardless of if your side won or lost, we still have hope. You know, I believe in God and I believe that things are going to be okay. Things are going to work out. And for business... You know, I'm always optimistic about business. I think this is a great time. This is a great, the greatest country in the world for entrepreneurs and small business owners, for people who are doing real estate as an investment business. This is a great time and it will be a great time. 2021 is going to be an awesome year. Just focus on the basic fundamental things. Focus on marketing. Focus on making offers. Focus on talking to sellers. Focus on follow-up. Those simple basic things, if you're good at that, you'll crush 2021. All right, so enjoy these two coaching calls and we'll see you later. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Good, guys. Um, I'm going to keep on going here with questions. Matt did tell me earlier in advance that he had to get off. So um, cool. Good question here from Marianne. When the balloon payment comes due, how do you fund that? We talked about that a little bit before, but private investors, number one, okay? Or number two, go ahead and list, you know, six months before it's due, list the property on the MLS and sell it. Offer the seller, uh, you know, ask the seller, negotiate with the seller a discounted payoff. Hey, if I pay you off an, a year early, you know, would you be interested in that? If you'd like some more money now. So you can negotiate a discount. You can get a private money lender in there to pay that off, or you just give the house back to the seller if you can't pay it off at the end of the balloon. That's why the balloon is there. If you can't pay it off, you can give it back to the seller. Okay, a lot of questions about tools from Lipsy. Lipsy has a question here. Who's an agent investor from Miami. Um, they've done some flips, some value buy and hold, value add, buy and hold. All of the deals were bought from wholesalers. I want to find my own deals, preferably for owner financing. My bump in the road 
are all of the tools. There's REI, you have REI Facts, Blackbook, REI Simple, PropStream, where do I start? Good question. Let me just put in a plug for my CRM because it is the best CRM in the world. I white labeled a version of FreedomSoft. It's called REI Simple. It's amazing. I've seen and been through and used all of the different CRMs. In my opinion, it's the best. REI Simple. I white labeled it because I've customized it and I've added in all my contracts and marketing pieces and stuff in it. And so Rob Swanson at FreedomSoft has just done an amazing job updating it. He's constantly adding new features. And it's the only tool that I've found that it's a phone-based CRM. You know, what I mean by that is like leads come in and you can do all your communications with the seller from inside the lead, which is incredibly valuable. So you can do your marketing and make your offers and handle the leads all the way from, and you can do skip tracing and marketing and texting all from inside of it. And it does your follow-up automated. So I would start with a good CRM. That's what I would start with, number one. A good CRM, like REI Simple. Or, you know, there's other good ones out there. REI Blackbook is really good also. REI Blackbook is fantastic. So you can start with that. Most good CRMs out there come with a way to get lists. So first start with getting lists from your CRM. Like REI Simple, you can get good lists from them. But if you want more detailed lists, like more granular, try something like PropStreamJoe.com. PropStreamJoe.com because, you know, then you can dive into like properties with liens and tax defaults and high equity, low equity, free and clear owners that own property here, high equity that live outside of that county, things like that. I've been using PropStream to buy vacant land leads to send marketing to. So, all right. Some people are asking, hey, Joe, if we are already a student of your Simple Lease Options stuff, do we get a discount? I'm sorry we don't because Matt and I are doing this together and we're already discounting it so much. I mean, it's crazy. $297 for digital only, $397 for physical and digital. So we're not. I'm not giving any discounts. Okay, Laura, lease options are not possible in Texas. So how can this be handled in Texas? All right, first of all, Laura, you can do lease option assignments in Texas. Lease option assignments, my good friend John Jackson's been doing them for 12, 15 years in Texas, lease option assignments, but you can't do sandwich lease options. So you can do land contracts, contract for deeds, owner financing. Texas is a great market. Just use different paperwork. Call it something different. Call it subject to contract for deed, land contracts, whatever you want. You can use the contracts that we have in Creative Financing Lab to do those deals in Texas. If a tenant buyer does not pay, then who is responsible to pay? Crystal, if you're doing a sandwich lease option where you're staying in the middle, if the tenant buyer doesn't pay, then you pay. The same with if you were doing, if you're buying with owner financing and putting a tenant in there and renting it out, you would pay the rent. I mean, you'd pay the financing payments if the tenant didn't pay. So just make sure, number one, you have good reserves so you can cover those things. Number two, start the eviction process the day the rent is late. Once the tenant is late, send them a letter, preliminary eviction notice. If you don't pay the rent in the next seven days, I'm going to contact my attorney and we're going to start the eviction process, right? You give them seven days. If they don't pay it, you contact the attorney. The attorney sends a letter. You've got seven days, 14 days. If we don't pay, we're going to start the eviction process. You know, that letter comes from the law offices of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So then it just, so my whole point is you got to be proactive. That tenant buyer or that tenant has to learn that the rent is the first thing that they have to pay every month. I don't care about the um, rent eviction. I know we're going to get 500 questions about that. You can still evict tenants if they break the lease. Okay. You can't evict them if they lose their job because of the pandemic, the COVID stuff, but all that stuff is expiring soon. Anyway, even if it gets extended, there's assistance and all that. Plus most of the homes that we teach you to be in, the tenants are not going to be in that kind of a situation. So I could spend a half hour talking about that, but the idea is, especially when this is all over, you have to be very, very proactive 
with your managing your tenants and all of that. And you need to have reserves. So if it happens, you have the, the money to, to follow. And if you're super concerned about it, you can put in your contract with the seller. If the tenant doesn't pay rent, I'm not going to pay the payment. There's nothing wrong with putting that in the contract. In fact, one of the things that you can negotiate with the seller is if they're stuck on price, if they want this price and you want this price, you can tell them, all right, let's do this. I'll give you your price or we'll meet in the middle if you allow me to not make a payment if the tenant doesn't make a payment. If the house is vacant, I will only make one month's payment until it gets rented again. And so if it takes me three months to fix it up and get another new tenant in there, I'll pay the next payment, but you will seller seller will make the next two or three payments. So you can negotiate that with the seller. That's a great thing about these terms deals. You can negotiate price or terms. I'll get you the price you want if you give me the terms that I want, like maybe no payments for six months, no payments for a year, you know, payments of $200 a month for the first six months, $500 a month for the next six months, and then $1,000 a month for the next, you know, I had a, I had a student in Alabama do a lease option with the seller and it was a handyman special needed a lot of work and said, I will do this at your price. You let me keep 100% of the rent for the first two years. And then the next three years, we'll split the rent 50-50. So she's getting $900 a month cash flow for the first two years. And then after that, she's getting $450 a month cash flow for the next three years. And the tenant buyer she put into the house is fixing it all up themselves. So win-win. I mean, the seller's getting the price that he wants and the student, Marty, is getting the, the terms that she wants on the front end for the rent. Does that make sense? Okay, good question from Jeff. What are the pros or cons of lease options as opposed to keeping the property as a rental? Um, Jeff, if you want to be out of the property in a couple, three years, four or five years, then you should do a sandwich lease option, put a tenant buyer in it, okay? But if you're looking for long-term buy and hold wealth, long-term wealth building strategies, put regular tenants in there. Here's advantage, the advantage of doing that. You know, if the market rents, let's say, are $1,500, you should advertise it for $1,400 a month, which means then you're going to get a ton of applications. Then if you're just renting it for the long haul, you want to take the tenant that has the best credit history, the best employment, the best job history, the best income, the best debt to income ratio, the best credit score, the least amount of problems, because then you can be more picky. The rent is super competitive. You're going to get a lot of applications. And when you get somebody with a credit, with a better credit profile, they're just going to be a much better tenant for the most part. Does that make sense? So listen to that interview I did with Michael Jake on my podcast, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Let me talk a lot about that. What do you think about using crowdfunding to attract investors when the balloon... Okay. What do you think about crowdfunding? Mariana, that's a good question. I've never done that. I don't think Matt has either. You know, if we need money for deals, we just use private lenders. There's a whole really good module in there about using private money. So you should look into that. I don't think you need crowdfunding. I really don't. You know, if you, if you just had one private investor with a couple hundred to hundred grand, you know, they'll probably have more and that might be all that you need for your deals. Peter is asking a question, have I ever been a student of a particular guru? And my answer is no. I've never I've never bought. I might have bought something from that guy on like 7 bucks or something, but I've never had I've never bought his high-end program. When doing lease options from Carmen, how are you looking for your price to offer the buyer, the end buyer? When I am advertising my property to sell, I always want to be competitive. So if it's worth 150 today and I'm selling it to a tenant buyer in two years, I might set the price at 155, 160, right? Because like I want them to have some incentive when they get ready to buy the house in two years where there's some equity in there and they can buy it. Then they want to buy it because there's some equity, right? So I don't try to, I don't bump it up way high. I, I keep it very close to what it's worth today. And so you just figure that in when you're making your offer to the seller. You know, you don't figure that you're going to sell this property for 170 in three years. You figure you're going to sell this property for 155 
in two or three years. And that's going to lower than the price you can negotiate with the seller and all that. A uh, good question from Rob. I think my target deals are subject tos and sell via owner financing. If you want to buy subject to and sell via owner financing, what would you recommend for target marketing to my group, to this group of pretty houses based on the marketing you taught in the training? Good question, Rob. You're selling on a wrap. You buy a house subject to and you sell it on a wrap where you wrap the new mortgage around the original mortgage. A lot of my friends in Texas do that. So how do I find those buy? You want to look for motivation. So there's certain things that will tell you if there's a motivation or not, right? Pre-foreclosure list, a liens list of the, if there's liens on the property, unpaid utility bills, been on the market over 60, 90 days. Sometimes what I used to do, I don't do this anymore, but I used to go through lists providers and find properties that had that were bought in the last three to five years with little equity, with FHA or VA financing. Because then I knew people moved on average of every three to five years. Now that's longer. That's like every, that's like seven to 10 years, I think is the average when people move. But I knew at the time, like they would be moving soon. They don't have much equity. And I would send them letters. And, and, and they were targeted into the specific zip codes that I wanted. That's what I might recommend. You know, I, that's why I like direct mail because direct mail, you can target specific neighborhoods and type of owners that you they're looking for. It costs you a little bit more money, but it's it's well worth it. Wes is asking, when you are looking at properties on Redfin for comps and the property is 2,000 square feet with an unfinished finished basement, when I'm calculating repairs, do I figure in the basement for my repair estimates? If you're going to finish the basement, yes, you should. And REI Simple is a really good rehab estimator where it'll say what is the pre-rehab square footage and what is the post-rehab square footage. And you can have 2,000 for pre, 2,700 square feet for post-rehab, after rehab, and it'll give you a really good rehab estimate for finishing the basement. Um, Titus is asking, is there a proper, is there a software that can help me look what all my buyers are paying for side by side and see who is paying the most? Hold on one second here. Okay, so is there a software to see you know what buyers are paying for? Titus, what I recommend is get a list in Excel and either find somebody who's good at Excel or learn how to do it yourself. And I would just play with it in Excel. Now, I, there's things in Excel or spreadsheet worlds called pivot tables. And uh, what I would do is I would go in and I'd find somebody on Fiverr and and say uh, and do a search for the word spreadsheet or pivot tables, like pivot, like you pivot pivot tables. And there's pretty ninja stuff you can do with pivot tables. So you can look at by zip code and by buyer what they're paying on average and, you know, look at all the properties through that. So that's what I would say. Question from Jose, how do you approach reverse mortgage leads? You know, Jose, I just have to be honest. I don't know enough about reverse mortgages to give you any advice on that. I, I've tried to do deals before or make offers on reverse mortgages and it just got so confusing. I, I said, sorry, I can't help you. And I passed on the deal. I'm sure there is a good way to do it. Um, I don't know enough about it. Okay. And I remember in this one particular deal I was working, there was a bunch of family. This was for an elderly couple. There was a bunch of family involved and it was almost becoming like a probate deal. And I just said, I, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you. All right. So I don't know. Ooh, good question from Gregory. What would your first offer be if you came, if you came across a vacant or rundown house where they owe more than it's worth other than a short sale? If I found a house that was owed more than it's worth, I don't know. I would, I would probably find out somebody in my market who does short sales. I know you don't want short sales, but I would find somebody in the market that does short sales and I would bring the deal to them. And I would say, Hey, I want to buy this house, but I don't want to pay. I'll only pay this. If you can negotiate this deal for me, I will buy it and pay you $5,000. And I would find somebody that could do the short sale negotiating for me. 
And I, I wouldn't do any kind of creative short sales where they're behind on payments, pre foreclosures, you've got to make a cash offer on those. So that's the only creative thing I would do. When do we choose 70% of the current as is market value as the offer price versus using 85% for the same option offer price? All right, Darwin, a general rule of thumb, when I'm making a cash offer, it's 70% of ARV minus repairs minus wholesale fee. When I'm doing a lease option, it's 85% of ARV minus repairs, or sometimes I call it 85% of the as is value. So I kind of do 70% for cash, 85% for lease options. Does that make sense? And when it comes to seller financing, it's just about cash flow. So it's just about terms. Question from Crystal. Does the deposit made by the tenant buyer have to be paid by me in a sandwich lease option at the end? Does it get credited to them? So when a tenant buyer in a lease option makes an option deposit, it gets credited back to them as when they buy the house. And it usually reduces the price of the home. Depending on the lender that they're working with, they can get it to apply to their down payment, but you can't guarantee that. Um, usually it's just a credit on paper. You have to show the bank a copy of the check that they made two years ago for $10,000. Most of the time that can get applied towards their down payment if they're working with a good banker, mortgage broker. But I don't promise that. I don't guarantee it. It just really depends on several things that are outside of my control. But it's just it's just a credit on the HUD statement. It's a credit on, just like if you were to pay $5,000 earnest money deposit, you know, you write that in a check, it goes to an escrow company, they hold on to it. You don't have to write another $5,000 check when you get ready to buy the house in 30 days, right? You do, they, just, they just look at the proof that you've made that payment 30 days ago. That's the same way for a lease option deposit. Okay, good question from Derica here. I'm so overwhelmed. I mean, so much info. How do I begin with all of this? I'm a newbie with no experience. I have very little capital. capital. I'm coachable, but I'm not knowledgeable. Okay, very long question from Derica. And this is common, guys, when you're first getting started and you, you, you know, you get a course like creative financing lab, and you're like, what do I do with it? I'm so overwhelmed. You know, here's what I recommend. If you're getting started, you want to focus on the real simple stuff like marketing, talking to sellers and making offers. Okay. Forget about everything else. Forget about raising private money. Forget on closing the deals and finding the buyers. You know, all you need, you just need to worry about getting the marketing out there so you can start talking to sellers and making offers. This really, this business comes down to those three things. Marketing, we're not in the real estate investing business, we're in the marketing business. So understand, learn marketing to get the phone to ring or outbound marketing to ring their phone. Learn how to talk to sellers. We have some of the best training, I think, ever out there in creative financing lab, especially for Matt, because Matt's so good at it, on how to talk to sellers. So learn how to talk to sellers, learn sales skills, super important. Also, one of the things we talked about in the class, there's a really good YouTube video that I did with my friend Claude Diamond on, we did a cold call. It was a live cold call um, where we talked to a seller and just listen to that call. It's about five minutes long. And Claude asked a good 20 something questions. And it was such a good call. You got to learn how to talk to sellers. You got to learn how to talk to sellers. So marketing, getting leads, sales, focus on sales and how to talk to sellers. And then third, focus on how to make offers. Then it's, this is just focusing on one thing at a time. Don't think about the what ifs. Think about the what next. What next? So when you get a seller that says yes, what do you do then? Well, number one, you can get a coach or can't afford a coach or even if you have one, go find another investor in your market that has already done these kinds of deals and bring the deal to them and say, hey, will you partner with me on this? So, and I've done this a lot. When I'm doing deals in another market, I'll find somebody else who's already 
has the buyers, already has the title companies, has all the connections and the lawyers and paperwork. And I'll say, hey, I got a deal in your market, Houston. And will you partner with me on this? Okay. And I'll split the deal 50-50 with them. So what I recommend is learn the basics of marketing, talking to sellers and making offers. And don't worry about anything else. Just focus on those basic things. I wrote a book called Being Brilliant at the Basics. You've got to be really good at the basics. And that's simple. Okay. Then find somebody else that you can bring the deal to them in your market that already, if it's a cash deal or lease option deal, find other investors that are already doing what you want to do and say, hey, can we partner on this? Split the deal 50-50. Okay. Uh, Julianne, awesome. Has a property under contract, I think. And she's saying, is there a way for me to email the details to you or discuss it? So if you have a deal you want us to look at, Julianne, I just don't have the time on this call, but if you're in one of the future coaching calls that Matt and I do, at the very beginning of the call, submit the details of that deal and we can look at it. Um, Sometimes I partner with students on deals, but they have to be a student who has my course and they have to get it under contract first. Alan, the answer to your question is yes. And if you have any, if, if, by the way, guys, if I don't, some of you are asking really good questions about what you get with Creative Financing Lab. And if I'm not answering those questions, please send an email to support at joelmccall.com. Support at joelmccall.com. And we will, my team will answer that question for you. Does that make sense? Because I still have a lot more questions here. In fact, I might pull up my chair and sit down in a minute. Would you put South Dakota into your search fields on Zillow and see what shows up? Would you still recommend me to try and find for sale or for rent deals in South Dakota versus another state? Good question, Darwin. And I will do that for you because I think that's important. So this is a question from Darwin. And I'm going to share my screen because I think this will be really good for all of y'all to see. All right. So this is, again, creativefinancinglab.com slash 2021. You get all of this good stuff. And this is going to be gone Sunday night. All right. Let's look at, let's look at Zillow. All right. I'm going to pull up South Dakota. Did I spell South Dakota right? Mm, it's a nice, beautiful, small state. Let's look at for sale. And let's look at, I'm going to do sold. And then I just want to do it for sale by owner. And I want houses, return off land. And I want no lot size limitations. Zero. There's zero for sale by owner. Is that right? For sale by owner, houses. Let's make sure I don't have any other filters in here. All right. Let's look at rentals. There's... Th- Maybe this is right. Maybe someone else can search for me, but there's no FISBOs. Let's look at rentals. Why is it doing this? 60 rental properties, 60 houses for rent, Rapid City and Sioux Falls. What do I do? This is so, it's such a good question, but let's look real, let's go to for sale by owner. There's none, right? So what do you do? Let's say there's a hundred and you've already marketed all of them. What do you do? See this button right here? Oh, let me go back closer a little bit. I accidentally zoomed out. There's South Dakota. No FISBOs. I'm going to click right here, remove boundary. There's still none. Something tells me something's wrong with my search here. Zillow just made this change here. <laughs> All right. I was on agent listings. I'm, I'm doing, even though I'm doing a search, this, you got to be aware of this. Even though I'm going by owner right here, I hope you can see this. You still have to go and you click search. You still have to, you have to go here. All right. So there's a hundred, there's zero agent listings and 127 other listings. All right. And so I mean, I can market to all of them in one day. I need more than that. What do I do? Okay, click remove boundary. Now there's 833. All right, so you market to all of them and that takes you maybe two weeks to go through. Well, here's a little minus button on the map. Click on that minus button, zoom out. Now you have 6,008. So one day, one week, just go to SD, South Dakota. You have 127. All right, next day, next week, go to ND, North Dakota. 
They got 131. Cool. Next week, go to MN. Now you've got 265. The next week, go to IA, Iowa. Now you have 665. The next week, go to NE, I think is Nebraska. I always get it mixed up. Or NA. Yeah, Nebraska, NA. You got 273. And then, well, now what do you do? Go back to SD, South Dakota. And you just keep on rotating through those two or three or four or five states, right? And then also don't forget the for rents. I love for rents and I like the nicer houses, right? So let's do a thousand a month plus three plus bedrooms, houses only. Oh my gosh, there's only 37. What do I do? Oh, remove boundary. Now there's 528. Let me zoom out. Now there's 5,376. Three plus bedrooms, rents over a thousand a month, houses only, okay? And again, you can do the same thing. Maybe one week go after Iowa. There's 212. The next week, go after Minnesota, 545. So these are the links. This is the criteria that you're going to give that scraping company I recommend in the course. And they're going to go through and scrape all of this every week and give you that data. And you can send them marketing. You're going to go and click on one of these properties, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. It's listed by the property owner. You're going to send a text right now to this owner, Lynn, and say, hey, I saw this nice house on Clover Lane in Grand Rapids, you wouldn't have any interest in maybe selling it, would you? And this is where, you know, you can do this all in REI Simple. And you can also skip trace the owner, find out who the owner is and send them a postcard or a letter with a few clicks. So that's what you do. Start in your backyard in South Dakota and then zoom out. But if you're insistent on adamant on staying in South Dakota, then you're going to need to look at direct mail. You're going to need to look at, you know, Google pay-per-click or Facebook marketing, things like that. Why the baseball caps? Thank you, Dana. <laughs> it's because we're both almost bald. I'm Matt's more bald than I am. Nobody's complaining except my assistant, Dana, about my baseball caps. But she did that so long ago, she's probably not even on here anymore. Okay, so we got half another hour, another half hour to go. And I'm going to, I've been kind of going from the top to bottom. I'm going to going now from the bottom up. And we're not going to get through all the questions. It's crazy here. But if you want more of your questions answered, then get the thing. Get the Creative Financing Lab because we're going to do six more of these calls. And Matt, he's insane. Literally, I'm not kidding. I've seen him do this a couple of times. He'll be on the call for three or four hours making sure all the questions are answered. Okay, Marianne's asking about a class. I've said a couple of times that I would do a land investing class. I'm still thinking about it. Um, the problem is this, there's already so many other good courses out there on land investing, like Jack Bosch has got a great course on land investing, Mark Podolsky, Seth Williams from RE Tipster. So I'm not planning on creating a course to compete with theirs, but I will say this, I might come out with a course on just how to buy land. This session is recorded. It's in YouTube right now. So you can go into YouTube and watch this. For someone that is totally new to all these concepts and terms, will your 10 training modules be what they need to become proficient? Yes. Good question, RZ. We don't hold anything back in these modules, okay? And if we do, get you, we'll give you your money back. They're, they're very thorough. It's not like we sell you on something else that you have to get to get the complete picture. Thank you, Nick, for the kind words. Do I blame my baldness on real estate investing? Come on, Jeremy. No. It's funny. I heard somebody else say the other day, I used to have a forehead. Now I have a 10 head. Dun, dun. I heard a joke the other day. You, you want a dad joke? What's the difference between a camera and a sock? What's the difference between a camera and a sock? With a camera, you take photos. With a sock, you put in five toes. Ooh, cringe worthy. You know, I heard, I heard that from a guy on Instagram who's hilarious. Kevin on stage. I'm too afraid to look at the comments. I'm not even going to look. 
What webcam am I using? It looks so crisp. It's called a Sony A6400 with a lens on it that's like this long. I don't understand. I had a friend help me set it up. What do you do if the bank calls a loan subject to due on sale? What do you do if the bank calls due a subject to deal? Steve, number one, it's unlikely for it to happen if you're making your payments on time. But if they do, well, then you need to be in a position that you can go ahead and get some financing on the house, number one, or be in a position where you can get some private money on the house, at least temporarily. Or number three, go ahead and give it back to the bank. Let them take it back. I mean, not much you can do about it. But again, it's rare for banks to do that. If they do, though, you just have to be prepared for it. Okay. Mohammed is asking, how is this course different than your other courses? Um, This course is different because you got Matt teaching half of it. And Matt's teaching really good content on owner financing subject to getting private money. I teach mainly lease options and cash deals. He's teaching a lot of the other creative deals. And Matt just has a very different way of presenting how to t- how to sell the concepts to sellers and how to talk to sellers and all of that. When a seller agrees to the deal and you get a tenant buyer, how do you do the payment structure so that when the buyer pays rent and eventually the balloon, then the seller gets their money and you also get your profit from the deal do we get an escrow company to escrow and distribute the money? Uh, Philip, well, that's a good question, but you're, you're going to stay involved throughout the whole process anyway. So you, when you when you stay involved in the deal, you're going to make sure that you get paid. Does that make sense? And yes, you always use a title company and an escrow company to handle all the money. It's a good question. So once you make an offer, how do you pay for the deal? Does the buyer pay for it or do I? So if it's a cash deal, I'm either paying it with hard money lending, private money, or my own money or I'm assigning and selling my contract to the end buyer. If it's a owner finance, that's for a cash deal. If it's an owner financing or lease option deal, I'm not using any of my own money to buy it. I'm borrowing the money, either by taking over the mortgage, doing a lease option, you know, getting a new seller financing on the property. Good, good question from Susan. Do you have any good suggestions on how to use marketing if you work a full-time job? Susan does in-home daycare, so she's not able to answer the phone at any moment throughout the day. What do you do? Great question, Susan. So all of my marketing, especially my direct mail, I put on there, please call our 24-hour recorded hotline, 24-hour recorded voicemail hotline if you'd like more information. So that phone number, when you say that, call our 24-hour recorded voicemail hotline, number one, you'll get more calls because of that. They know if they call, nobody's going to answer the phone. So you'll get more calls, number one. And number two, when they leave the voicemail, you can listen to it, pre-screen them out, and then call them back when it's convenient for you. The problem is going to be a lot of people just don't answer their phones right now these days if it's coming from an unrecognized number. If you use REI Simple to call the sellers back, they will see that it's they're, you're calling them back from the same number that they called you on. And you can also text them, okay? So if Mary calls you and leaves a voicemail, you can text her back, hey, Mary, I got your voicemail. I'll call you back in a little bit. And then you can text Mary again, hey, I'm going to call you in a few minutes. Then you call Mary. And if you leave a voicemail, you leave a voicemail. And then you text her again, hey, I just called you and left you a voicemail. Call me back when you, when you, when you can talk about your house. So that's why I like using REI Simple for your marketing because you can get virtual phone numbers from REI Simple and you can communicate with sellers like that. What amount should I budget for postage when I'm starting? So if you're going to be doing direct mail, Laura, I'd recommend you start with at least a minimum budget of $500 a month for your direct mail. I get a bare minimum and you should be committed to do it for at least three to six months. Find a very targeted niche list and mail them really consistently every one to two months, mail them again and again and again. And if you have that small of a budget, I'd really recommend, if you can, Laura, to answer the phones when they call. Even if you put on their 24-hour recorded voicemail, okay? I have a friend who did this, and he swears by it. 
he still answers the phone. And he's told me no one ever complained. They were just surprised to get somebody to answer the calls. And you call back everybody, even if they don't leave a voicemail. If they hang up, you still call them back anyway. When you're buying deals subject to or seller financing, where does the money come from? So if you have to make the seller, a, you know, if you're making a $5,000 down payment, where does the money come from? Good question, Sonny. And we talked about that in the course. You need private money. And it's not that hard to get. You get private money. And basically, if I have a deal where I'm buying it subject to and there's $300 a month cash flow and there's not much equity and I need $10,000 from a private investor to either get the loan current or as some a down payment or some kind of cash incentive offer to the seller. I don't have $10,000. I'm going to get it from a private investor. Now, you may be wondering, well, the private investor, they're going to be like, I don't have much, I don't have much protection in this deal because there's a big first position mortgage and I'm going to be in second position. Why? What's in it for me? Really, really simple. And I learned this from Matt. You tell that private investor, listen, you put it in the note. If I default and I don't pay you your interest payments, Okay, you can just take over this deal for me. Now, if you default and you don't make your $100 a month payment back to the seller, which you get from the rent, okay, that, that investor who lent you $10,000 on this deal will just take over the deal. and They'll be getting $200 a month on their $10,000 investment. $200 a month, it's $2,400 a year. That is a 24% return on their money. Is that right? Yeah, which is really, really good. So, you just got to make sure the deal is good enough. If the deal is good enough, finding the money is easy. You got to tell yourself that in the head. You got to get that in here. If you have a good deal, finding the money is easy. Okay, good question from Tyrone. I'm interested in buying an eight to 12 unit apartment building. What about the tenants not paying because of COVID? I can't evict them until the pandemic is over. So Tyrone, you got to figure that out because every you'll find from the rent rolls whether the current tenants are paying. If they haven't been paying, you know, in the last six to 12 months, you know, or whatever, they're probably not going to be paying. But if they have been paying the last few months, they're probably going to continue paying. They've got a good job. So you just need to find that out from the owner of the property that's selling it. And don't don't forget, like if they break the lease for any other reason, except non-payment because of COVID job losses, pandemic-related stuff, you can still evict them. If they are causing too much noise or they get into, they start dealing drugs or they have too many people living in the house, if they break any of the other aspects of the lease, you can still evict them. And you know, from who knows what's going to happen. This rent or this eviction moratorium cannot last forever. But if you're still really concerned about it, then don't buy the apartment yet. Wait until it, this eviction moratorium is done. Okay, good question from Thomas. How do you exit a sandwich lease option? Do you need transactional funding to close A to B and the B to C? Or do you just do a simple assignment? Or do you sell or your equitable interest at closing? Okay, Thomas, good question. And the answer is there's a lot of different ways you can do it. It just depends. You need to make sure you find a good real estate investor friendly title company or attorney that can help you with it. So what I would do is I would find a title company, I'd bring the deal to them and I say, listen, this is what I want to do. I need your help. I'll pay you for your time and your counsel and your advice and all of that. But I have a deal here where I'm buying it on a lease option and I'm selling it on a lease option. What's the best way to do this? Bring the deal to the title company that you know works with investors. They understand, you know, you want to find the title companies that are helping other people do wholesale deals and subject twos and things like that. You say, what do you recommend? So there's a couple of things. Number one, you could take it over subject two six months in advance. Okay. Because sometimes they're seasoning. You have to be seasoned on the title for six months. So do a subject to six months prior and then just sell it to them. Or you can record your, if you, 
You could do an assignment, get paid as an assignment at the end. You could record a um, a lien on the property for if your profit's going to be thirty grand. You can record a mortgage on the property for thirty grand, and then you just put the buyer and the seller and they close together. You get paid afterwards. I've had a title company before do this where they call it a revocation of option. They put on the HUD a revocation of option, so the option was recorded in the county. I got paid to re- remove the option, which cleared the title for them to close together. Or you may need to get private money into the deal so that you buy it and then turn around and sell it. It just really depends. And don't just ask one title company. Ask several different ones. What do you recommend? How do we do it? Okay, guys, just 15 more minutes. I'm losing my voice. So I'm going to go through some more here. Do I still do rent credits with your lease options that when you sell it to a tenant buyer? Yes and no. Sometimes I don't if I do them, I only do a small 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. And I, I call them seller concessions that reduce the price of the home or go towards their closing costs. So they don't go towards their down payments. Some people say that causes problems with Dodd-Frank and maybe it does. So if you're concerned about that, just call it something else. Call it seller concessions, go to closing costs. Do you get to pocket the option deposit money on a lease option deal? Jeremy asks. Yes, you do. Now, I don't recommend that you spend all that money. Um, If you get a $5,000 option deposit from the tenant buyer on a deal, I recommend you save as much of that as possible, at least half of it, put it in the bank. So if there is something that happens in the future, you've got some money to cover any vacancies or expenses or things like that. Do you have to give the option deposit money back? If they buy the house, I do, but it's yeah, I'm not, it's not like I have to pull out $5,000 out of my wallet and give the cash back to them. It's a credit on paper. Just like if you were to put earnest money down on a house, a thousand bucks made out to the title company. And then 30 days later, you actually close. All you need to do is show them the proof that you made that thousand dollars 30 days earlier. And then they will credit that as part of your down payment when you buy the house. So lease options, the same thing, except it's two years later. You don't have to keep that money in a bank account and then bring out the cash to close the deal. Laura is asking, you mentioned Redfin to find houses. Is Zillow or truly an option? Or is Redfin better? Um, I like Redfin, but I also use Zillow all the time. Trulia is owned by Zillow. I don't know. I don't use Zillow or Trulia anymore. What I have found, it depends on the market you're in, but I have found that Redfin tends to have better information than Zillow in terms of more information, number one. And they and Redfin has a better relationship with the local MLSs around the country. So I get better, more accurate sold data and MLS data from Redfin than I typically do with Zillow. But you just need to test it in your market and see which is better. Roger asks, doing owner financing 100% virtually without ever seeing the property or meeting the seller in person, what changes? Uh, Roger, so if you're doing deals virtually, you need to have somebody on the ground to go look at the property for you. And that's when I recommend working with local realtors. So I start with local realtors to help me with that. That's the best way to do it. Shane's got a question. If it's in January and you sign a two-year lease with the seller, but in February, you find a buyer that signs a two-year lease from you with the option to buy it, how does this work since your lease will run out a month before the tenant buyer's lease is up? Well, Shane, I wouldn't sign a two-year lease with the tenant buyer. I'd only sign a one-year lease option or one-and-a-half-year lease option with that tenant buyer. But also, I probably would never do a two-year lease option agreement with the seller in the first place because it doesn't give me enough time to find a tenant buyer to buy it after that. So I would only do a two-year lease option with the seller if there's a lot of good equity in it. And so in two years, I can either get a mortgage because there's enough equity in it, um, or I know that I can price it low enough that I can it'd be easy to sell it to somebody else within that two years price or terms. So again, if it's a seller's, if that two-year thing is more important to them, if the terms are more important to them, then the price goes down. If the price is more important to them, then the terms go down, right? 
price or terms. Just think of it that way. So if they're stuck on their two years, well, I'll give them the two years if they give me the price that I want. Learn to understand the differences between price and terms. That's a great thing about these creative financing deals. You can negotiate. If you're just making cash, all you can negotiate is price. If you do creative financing, owner financing, lease options and stuff, you can negotiate the rent, the down payment, the term, the number of years, the monthly payment, the interest rates, all of that stuff. You can negotiate four or five different things. Okay, Julia, I believe, is asking a good question here. When a seller accepts my subject to offer, they keep the mortgage in their name. Yes, that's true. Is it going to be hard for him to open another mortgage with a bank if after selling the house, he still has a mortgage in his name? And how is he going to buy the new one? Because having two mortgages makes it more difficult. All right, so good question. When I'm talking to a seller about doing a lease option or subject to, they need to know, you need to tell them, if you're planning on buying another house, you need to talk to a mortgage broker about your situation. They can get another mortgage. People do it all the time. They but they, they're going to have to, the, the mortgage bank, the broker is going to have to look at their debt to income ratio. And they're going to have to also look at, you know, because they're, they're going to count the income that's coming in. But usually banks only count or allow like 75% of the rent towards their income. So they still have to make sure they have enough to cover. They just need to be aware. Sometimes banks require six months reserves, three months reserves. So it just depends on that seller and their situation. But again, this happens all the time. Sellers do it all the time. They buy a house, they move and rent their current house because they want to upgrade to a bigger house. So it's not a big deal. It's not hard. It's not that hard for people to get a second mortgage. But you need to tell the seller, you need to have this discussion with a mortgage broker because it may make it more difficult for you to buy another house if that's what you plan on doing. Oh, thank you for the kind words about my stupid dad joke. Ah, uh, that's funny. Can you sell with seller financing when there are existing tenants in the property? Yes. So you would sell it to an investor, Calvin. So if you get a property that has tenants in it, let's say it's a duplex and there's two tenants in there that are paying rent and they have another year and a half left on their leases. Well, you can buy it with seller financing from the seller Okay. And so basically you just have to make sure it cash flows. And if you wanted to, you could sell that package deal to another investor to come in and take your place. Manny's asking, would I consider ever investing out of a country, like in places like Venezuela? And I would probably say no. I don't know enough about Venezuela. I know I'm sure houses are cheap in there, but like I I don't know anything about Venezuela. I would probably, Manny, find somebody who has done it before and partner with them on some deals. <clears throat> Steve is asking, can you wait to start your seller financing pay payments until you find a tenant? Definitely, most definitely, 100%, Steve. You should try to negotiate that with the seller. You could tell the seller, listen, I can get you that price or I can do five years instead of 10, but let's do it this way. Or I'll do that if we'll write it in the agreement that I won't start paying rent or payments to you until I find a tenant buyer or, or tenant, or I, I'll start making my payments in six months, okay? Uh, Rick is asking, are you still doing REI simple coaching calls? I'm trying to figure that out, Rick. I don't know. I really don't know. Do you know how to access the How to Raise Private Money book that Matt wrote? Chris, if you have questions about Matt's book on how to raise private money, I would send him an email. If you go to his website, Epic Real Estate, I think epicrealestate.com, there's a contact us button on there. Just send his him an email. Uh, Samuel, which states do you like best for doing sandwich lease options? I'm in Texas and I want to start doing this strategy virtually. Well, first of all, Samuel, I would say like you can do deals in Texas. Like you can't do sandwich lease options, but you can do owner financing subject twos, land contracts in Texas. So I always recommend starting in your own backyard if you can, or if you really want to do lease options and do lease option assignments, you know, but like 
in many ways, it is easier to do them in your own backyard. So I would recommend trying to do the other kind of creative deals in Texas. Because a lot of you guys are answering questions in here for us. That's awesome. Calvin, does ARV matter when you're doing creative financing? Does the after repair value matter when you're doing creative financing? Of course it does, right? You want to know what it's worth, but it kind of doesn't because if you have enough time, like let's say a house is worth $100,000 today. The ARV is $100,000 today, but the seller wants, let's say something ridiculous, $200,000. What? Well, maybe I'll give the seller $200,000 for that house if I have a balloon in 30 years in 15 years, and I keep 100% of the rent for the first 10 years. Yeah, I'll give them a $200,000, but I'm getting now on the $100,000 house, I'm getting $900 a month in rent, cash flow, you know? So I can virtually almost give the seller any price they want if the terms are favorable. So I keep the rent, 100% of the rent for the first five years, and I don't pay any rent if it ever goes vacant, or I only pay one month's rent if it goes vacant. Yeah. So the ARV does matter. Does that make sense? Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate that, man. Jeremy Green. Chris is asking, have you found a replacement for Trulia's heat maps? No, but in my course, Chris, in my lease options course, I do talk about other things you can do. And one of them being from list source. And I, I don't have the time to show this to you, but you can go to list source and download in the last six months, all of the retail transactions, like in your county, how many where were most of the houses bought and sold by zip code? And you can get from that where the hot activity is. That kind of replaces heat maps. I don't know why Trulia got rid of that. Option deposits are non-refundable, right? But they're, well, they're refundable if they buy the house. I'll credit them back that money if they buy the house. What do you pay local realtors to check out properties for you? It's all negotiable, Steve. If I'm having a, a realtor help me sell the house or buy it, you know, I'll pay them their normal commissions. I just figure it in my offer. Does that make sense? So if I buy a property for 50 cents on the dollar, I'm going to try to sell it for $70,000. I'm going to buy it for $50,000. It's worth a hundred. I'm going to sell it for $75,000. I'm going to pay that realtor, a normal realtor commission, you know, 3%. If it's too cheap, then I'll pay them, you know, $3,000 or something, $5,000. Uh, do you recommend adding home warranties for your tenant buyers? Yeah, if you can. It's only, you know, 500 bucks a year or something. The recordings for this will be available tomorrow. I mean, as soon as Zoom, Zoom is recording this. And also this, this recording for this call is in YouTube and it's going to be available right as soon as I'm done because you can just go to my YouTube channel, Joe McCall, and you can find the recording for this call. Good question from Brian. Um, you mentioned on the last, one of the last modules that when you're talking about land, that you're getting a 10% response rate, but only a half of 1% rate on houses. So why would we spend the time and money on direct marketing to houses? Okay, so land investing is a completely different business than house investing. Land investing, you're buying rural vacant lots in the middle of nowhere for 20 cents on the dollar, and you're selling them for 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Houses are much different, and there's advantages and disadvantages to both. So the reason I'm doing land is because my boys who are 17 and 15 can help me with that side of the business. And I have a good friend from church that once I get a deal under contract, he sells it and then we we split the profits. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but land, I get so much better response rate with my direct mail for land because there's so much little comp, there's so much less competition doing land. And that's why I can buy them for 20 cents on the dollar. And you've got to send out a lot of mail to find the sellers that would be willing to sell it to you that cheap. 
But with houses, again, that's another good thing. With houses, they're easier to sell because there's more of a demand for houses. Land is harder to sell because there's not as much demand for land. So when I get a property under contract from a house, I can sell it a lot faster because there's a much bigger pool of buyers. Somebody's asking what is ACH. ACH is some of the other people were answering, asking and answering questions about getting paid. ACH is like a, is a wire through the bank. I forget what it's what it stands for, but it's like when your bank sends money to someone else's bank through ACH. It's like a different version of a wire. Is there special insurance or liability coverage that is needed for subject to's and or seller financing? Jason, I don't think so, but Matt would be a better person to answer that question. And I would talk to your insurance company about it. I'm not an insurance expert. You just have to make sure that the insurance, the homeowner's insurance that is on the house has, this is really important. You have to have the seller as additional insured and you need to have the bank as a mortgagee. So if you get new insurance, you have to be on that, you have to be named on that insurance. The seller has to be named on that insurance or your trust or whatever. And the bank has to be labeled named as mortgagee on that. So and you shouldn't have two different insurance policies. I know some guy that keep the existing mortgage policy that keeps the existing insurance in place and they just add themselves as, as additional insured. If you can do that, I guess it's fine. But there are insurance companies that will do, do insurance specifically for your owner financing subject twos. And uh, you just have to make sure that the seller is still protected, you're protected, and the bank is protected most of all. Yes, Joshua, California is tough. That's why I like virtual investing. Kirk, when it comes to sandwich lease options, if you have a lawyer or a title company that can help you with close those deals on the A to B at the beginning, then yeah, you could, you should use a lawyer or a title company to help you those deals. You don't have to though. You are going to need a title company or an attorney when you actually buy the house in one or two years or whatever. Peter, you have all of the updates. Yes, you have them all. And if you have any questions on that, Peter, please send an email to support at joemccall.com. Peter Hundley. So yeah, send an email to support at joemccall.com if you have any questions on that. Uh, Sharon's got a good question. Do you recommend doing a lease option on a personal residence? The owner is interested in selling, but wants to pay off a $155,000 loan on the property and it's worth about $450,000. So this is where you're going to need probably a private investor, Sharon. So if you could find it, if there's that much equity, it depends on how much equity is in the deal, but it depends on the cash flow and all of that stuff like we teach in the course, but it just depends. And I'm running out of time. Oh, ACH stands for Automatic Clearinghouse. Do I know what time of day and of the week that the coaching calls will be? I do. Let me go look that up right now. So our first coach, because we have six coaching calls through if you sign up for this thing. And here are the dates. And the times are 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time, January 20, February 17, March 17, April 21, May 19, June 16. And those, I believe, are on Wednesdays. So they're Wednesdays, 3 to 4 Central. Wednesdays, three to four central starting in January. Uh, Like the third Wednesday of every month, three to four central, four to five Eastern, one to two Pacific. Now, again, they're, they're scheduled for an hour, but we always go long to answer all of the questions. We have six of them scheduled. Cool, guys. Wow, a lot of questions. I got through at least 75, 85% of them. And if I did not answer any of your questions, guys, or if you have something you know, about like how to access something or I bought this before, how's the difference and how do I get this and that, please, please, please send an email to support at joemccall.com, support at joemccall.com. Okay, I appreciate you all. And May 2021, Yes, Susan. May 2021 be your most profitable year ever in this business. Again, guys, go to creativefinancinglab.com forward slash 2021 
I'm going to put this link again in the Zoom chat, creativefinancinglab.com slash 2021 to get lifetime access to all the recordings of the session that we did. And we're taking that down Sunday night. Okay. Real quick question here from Deborah, because I haven't answered it. The the pre-made Excel spreadsheets are not usable unless trained on them or you create your own. Please discuss this issue versus using a program or accounting software. By the way, all of the software is moving to the cloud, subscription-based. Heads up, accounting program is very important to start out right. Don't do catch-up. Oh, you're right, Deborah. Uh, The spreadsheets that we give you in the course, those are totally 100% editable. You can edit those. So they're all Google Drive, Google spreadsheets, okay? And so when you look at them with that link we give you, they're view only. You need to go to file and make a copy or file download as a spreadsheet, an Excel sheet, and then you can edit them and play with them. Yes, and everything is moving to the cloud. Okay, good, guys. I got to go. I got to make like a tree and leave. Awesome, guys. We'll see you later.